Hey everyone, welcome back to Adherent Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today to have Tim invoking theism, and we're going to talk about my debate with Captain Dadpool. What's up, Tim? What's up, man? Super pumped. So we're just going to kind of free throw, um, free flow. What the heck am I saying? Um, just free flow through this conversation, just talking about um, the points and the subpoints. And if you didn't know, I had a debate recently with Captain Dadpool on Does God Exist? It's linked down below on the Atheist Network group. So yeah, it's just a really interesting debate. So Tim and I are just going to come on and talk about it. So yeah, Tim, do you have anything you want to say as we get started here? No, man. Um, overall, man, I think that the, uh, I, th I think it was, it's cool that you've been doing more debates. Like I've told you and, and people seeing you do more debates and, and put yourself out there and uh, stuff like that, especially going into the lion's den because you are going on to the, um, it's an, yeah, it's an atheist channel that you went on to. So um, mm -hmm. just doing all that. I thought that the debate, um, was interesting uh but i think you uh you definitely killed it yeah 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 so we're going to talk through the debate um we're going to go like through the openings talk about their rebuttals and the cross exams and then there's not really much beyond that so we'll start with the openings i do want to say like at the beginning is always like a lot of respect right. to captain dadpool and hopefully like this isn't to try to like be like oh i won this or he won that but more in terms of like um just like adding on and furthering the discussion from the conversation that happened there but like with the openings at least for me, like when I went into this, I was just trying to do something like different. Cause I think a lot of times if you look up like a debate on like, does God exist? You're going to find someone like William Lane Craig or Frank Turek. And they kind of use like the, like the Kalam and the fine tuning and try to like conclusively show that God exists. And I've become <laughs> increasingly more like in favor of like a Swinburnian approach and like Swinburne hasn't done like popular level debates and like 20 minute openings and whatnot. So I try to like kind of formulate that looking at like simplicity and explanatory power. So yeah, I don't know where you're going to take it, Tim. Yeah, man. And, and and that's the main part, which is, I find it funny that, um, that, you know, what you're doing is, is you're taking rigorous, sophisticated philosophy built on by people like Swinburne and things. Um, and even other athe natural atheologians such as Draper and Sobel use a very similar method to Swinburne. And you're bringing that out there um, because, you know, people like Godless Engineer, people like Captain Dadpool, um, whether they like it or not, I mean, these aren't, um, philosophically rigorous, sophisticated people, um, mm -hmm. when it comes to atheism and overall, um, trying to defeat theism and showing that, um, theism is false. Um, and so you're taking someone like Swinburne, who on both sides of the aisle, atheists and Theists all agree, and agnostics all agree that Swinburne um, either has the greatest piece of natural theology or is one of the greatest natural theologians um, in his whole cumulative case and his whole approach. And so it's just, it's cool to see you try to take that, condense it down, and then like try to fit as much of that in as possible into like a debate format. Um, because that's, that's the hard thing about Swinburne is like, if you're going to do his method, like, you know, it's not very much tailored for debates um <laughs> yeah. so um so it's just interesting seeing you do that yeah it's interesting because i think like like christians and atheists are like 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 when i first got interested in like philosophy and like apologetics and stuff like this i wasn't exposed to like swinburne's case for god like i didn't really read the existence of god until the summer by swinburne and i had been interested in this stuff for like a year or two, like a couple of years at this point and it's just because i think like his stuff isn't as accessible because it's very technical um what he does compared to like someone like craig who has a very very accessible with the clums very simple to understand and like i don't think those arguments are bad i just think when um we're trying to make a conversation like trying to argue for god's existence i just prefer like a swinburnian kind of approach so at least for me like i focused on simplicity and like uh 
like showing the theism is simpler and then explanatory power just showing like the world looks more like we expect if God exists then if God doesn't exist but you added a point when we were talking on the phone Tim about something else that could have been added that I didn't do but would have been helpful so maybe you want to talk about that yeah yeah and, and I think this is why you know I, this is this is the and the advantages of Swinburne and the merits of Swinburne versus a a, a Craigian apologetic. Um, now, of course, you know, we all love Craig. We all have to give Craig the honorable mention. But, um, you know, just giving a bunch of deductive arguments, calling it a cumulative case, really isn't um, it, it, it's not as fruitful. And mm. it only goes so far um, and just like we see in that type of apology, you just give a bunch of arguments. Um, mm. And um, that hardly really does much um, on either side. Um, and so one thing for someone like Swinburne is um, he assesses theism as a grand theory, an ultimate theory, in a way that's relevantly similar to how we assess scientific theories. And so he is his assessment is in accordance with the philosophy of science and in accordance with the philosophy of science then he is going to look at two components of theories um intrinsic probability and explanatory power or what you want to call posterior probability when all total evidence has been taken into account so the intrinsic probability is Put simply, the probability of a hypothesis um, prior to looking at any evidence. Uh, it's also called a prior probability. I prefer to look at, call it intrinsic probability because, because intrinsic probability is looking at the theory as a whole. Um, and in, um, instead of focusing on like background knowledge, um, really it's our background assumptions about the theory. How coherent is it? How simple is it um in these in different ways of assessing uh intrinsic probability how modest is it that's that's one that draper uses he uses principle of modesty and this is going to show us how probable a hypothesis is before we at all look at any evidence and uh, a good way to kind of think about it is uh uh shout out to august and ben watkins from really theology for putting this analogy out there but you kind of think about it um as a starting line uh, during a race and um a theory that is our hypothesis that is um more intrinsically probable than another um is going to start up farther uh up on the starting line than its rival and so you can think about the intrinsic probability that way and so if you're looking at, at a hypothesis that is less intrinsically probable then what's going to happen is it's going to um need to gain on its rival via explanatory power, being able to explain more or something like that. And this is really where it gets into um, is theory comparison. And this is something that's becoming more prevalent in the philosophy of religion. Um, someone like Graham Oppie has been really been pushing this. Um, Graham Oppie doesn't use arguments. Um, he says there's it's very rare that you come upon a good argument for anything. Um, so we should just be sticking to comparing theories. And I do agree with him on that. Uh, many theists don't, but I am in line. I think that comparing theories uh, is 
the right way to go. And when you're doing theory comparison, then you're com comparing the explanatory virtues and merits of such theories. And so extrinsic intrinsic probability is a very important part of that because this is what you look at before it's explanatory power. And this is going to, as we continue on in this conversation and in this review, we're going to see actually how um, much like something like intrinsic probability is going to play into a lot of the um, back and forth and assumptions made by uh, dad pool in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think this would be a good time to talk about like, uh, like my rebuttal. And then with regards to like his opening. So his, his opening was interesting because he didn't and like, I'm not disappointed. I just like, he didn't have like a very clear, like um, he didn't do like deductive arguments or anything like that. He just kind of showed like, I think we just trying to just like point to certain phenomena that was like, that seemed like very surprising if God exists, like, um, like maybe like animal suffering or divine hiddenness and like just trying to point these as like marks against theism, which is interesting because it wasn't really, there weren't really many, mm, I wouldn't say that, but it's just like, that was kind of like what he got. So yeah. Do you, do you want to say anything here with like his opening and where we went from there? Yeah. I, um, as I was listening to his opening, I was, what I was trying to hone in on is, okay, I'm like, what are the arguments he's making? And what is the particular method? What is the particular approach that Dadpool is employing here um, to show the implausibility of theism, right? Um, and, and I don't know, is he, is he a lack theist or, or does he think that atheism can be defended? I don't know Because exactly he sounded he... ambiguous in the debate, like going mm -hmm. back between like, atheism doesn't need to explain anything versus like theism is not a good explanation. I don't know exactly where he would be on that um, kind of scale. Okay. Well, I'm just going to uh, treat it how he would in philosophy of religion and say that basically his defense of atheism here um, mm -hmm. is um, was uh, had some disclarity and some ambiguity to it because I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to see like, What's the method? What's the approach being used? And what are the arguments? Um, because if you look at uh, other theologians um, like Draper in things, um, he has a very specific approach. Um, Oppie, he has a very specific approach in how he uh, uh, shows that naturalism overall is a fair is better than theism. Draper shows that naturalism is has a more predictive power than theism, et cetera. Um, and they employ different ways and methodologies in doing so. Um, what I found with Dadpool is really just a long case of anomaly mongering. And, and, and I hate to just kind of like, to just kind of put it that way because, um, you know, anomaly mongering is, is, is something that happens um when you know I, and i've talked about it with you on here before um mm -hmm. it it happens when someone brings up let's say some tension in a theory some something that might be surprising or prima facie unexpected and then basically just well mongers it like you know why you know well you have this theory but then there's this data here how does your theory deal with it and that's basically what we got. Um, you know, it seems so surprising. Um, it seems so unexpected. Um, this seems like a problem. Um, and just basically mongering that it's a problem. 
that there's just some anomalous data on theism, but I didn't get an argument. I didn't get, okay. And therefore theism is implausible because mm -hmm. the anomalies come in different, I guess you could say different stripes, right? Uh, all theories, no matter what have anomalies, but not on all anomalies on all theories are disconfirming and mm -hmm. render it implausible. So he would have to bridge that gap by showing us something like, yeah, like a natural evil um, is something that theism couldn't ever account for in a non ad hoc manner. Uh, isn't something that theism has the resources for accounting for. And is something that is actually confirmation of atheism because atheism can account for it in X, Y, Z ways. Mm -hmm. um, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I didn't even kind of get him even going into how atheism does it. He just kind of showed, am I right? Like, yeah. So I think, he, I think what his approach was like thinking about Ricky and I could be wrong. So I'd encourage you anyone just like listen to the debate um, to make sure like to actually know like Ricky's what he's saying. But like from what I got out of it is he was looking at certain anomalies say like, um, like animal suffering or divine hiddenness or like the incoherence of God. And he said like, given these phenomena, it's just, I think what oh, we yeah, find okay, is that it's just unlikely that God exists because we wouldn't expect these things if he did. Yeah, um, so that, that's what I got out of it, basically. Um, and um, yeah, he he brought up indifference because he quoted he quoted Dawkins and he said at bottom mm -hmm. is mind. Uh, this is what we expect if there's blind yeah. indifference. Um, and then he quoted um, I think was it Stanger or somebody who said he that quoted uh, Schellenberg at one point, but I don't know if that's the quote you're thinking of. No, then because then he went into the science and basically quoted that the universe runs in a way where we don't have to invoke God and things of that mm -hmm. sort. So he did kind of um, give that positive case a little bit where he showed mm -hmm. how these things lead to atheism. But um, uh, but like I said, I'm trying to act in good faith here, trying to be charitable here. Yeah. Um, we didn't I didn't get necessarily an argument or or something that shows how atheism as a theory as a can actually um, outdo theism in this way um, besides just asserting that these things are anomalies and therefore this is a problem with theism, therefore theism is implausible. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really what we got. And um, I mean, that's not very satisfying as a case for atheism really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was definitely something interesting, which it kind of played into my strategy. We could just talk about the rebuttals if you've anything to add. Cause like, at least for me, like when I got listened to his opening, I was like, okay, well, here's a bunch of things where he says theism just can't explain these certain phenomena, or it seems unlikely they could explain these certain phenomena. So for me, I was like, okay, well, let's just give an explanation for these things from a theistic perspective. And then I just listed off like all the potential explanations in my mind. So do you have anything yeah. to add with regards uh, to the rebuttal section? Yeah, I mean, it, it's even unclear to me if he was even making incompatibility arguments or mm -hmm. if he was making evidential uh, arguments of the probabilistic type saying that um saying that theism may be able to to have explanations and answers but prima facie atheism uh this is much more these facts are much more likely on atheism yeah. less, less less surprising on atheism um i i because people people speak in this particular language and it's hard to see whether or not they're saying it's incompatible like a logical problem of evil right where mm -hmm. these two propositions in conjunction with one another, you know, just um, render like this is an incompatibility on theism or whether or not like he's. Yeah, that like that's what I was trying to pinpoint. I didn't, I didn't really get to see that. It was just seemed like, well, this is a problem on theism. Mm -hmm. And then somehow it's not a problem on atheism. 
and then so continue like so that's like that's what i was looking for right type of thing mm -hmm. yeah that's super good and i don't have too much else to add with like the rebuttal section because it's very brief and then we got into the cross exams which was super interesting and i think that's where we covered a lot of stuff um so you could just start talking about the cross exams yeah so um so what's really interesting is um is when you were uh kind of showing him how you're approaching evidence. Mm -hmm. And um, this seemed to be something that was very much um, something he was really expecting because he did claim that there just is no evidence for God. And, and you know, and, and, and um, see Joe Schmidt and Ken Bertuzzi on the no evidence mantra. Um, Joe does a very good job of showing via Bayesian confirmation theory that this is just a really uh, bad thing that amateur theologians um uh parrot all the time um which is that uh there is just no evidence and it's just interesting when you wonder like okay like you know i like how you point pointed out you're like what do you mean by evidence mm -hmm. and some people say well maybe your standard evidence is too high I, I don't even go there i'm like what do you mean by evidence because if you're meaning like a you know a knockdown philosophical proof you know mm -hmm. Like, well, none of us have that. You can't give that to me. I can't give that to you. Uh, if you're talking about um, empirical evidence, um, uh, like that of physics, like that of biology, well, that just gets this whole thing wrong, which he did in, mm -hmm. in the sense that he misunderstood what kind of explanation theism actually is. Mm -hmm. He was He's treating theism as an alternative hypothesis to science. And he's implicitly treating science in favor of atheism. That's just flat wrong. And there is no justification that is ever given. Um, it, that's a big blunder on his part for why that is the case. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to interrupt here just very briefly. Because it's funny because like I was reading Swinburne's like shorter book on the existence of God, just thinking about this debate. And he answers his objection of like theism is just like the, like the science stopper. It's like the explanation like when science can't explain something. And like Swinburne's like, Whoa, 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 like we're getting this wrong. Like he's like, like in my hypothesis, like the theistic explanation is like the explanation, explanation of why we can do science in the first place. Um, just kind of like setting up like what theism actually trying to explain. So I just wanted to Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because what they're trying to get at is they're trying to say that atheism um, in some way, uh, including, you know, I'm thinking more in terms of naturalism, but um, I'll go with just atheism as broadly, um, precludes theism. Um, and, um, so theism is going to have to work really, really hard to match atheism as explanations, explanations, well, they're scientific ones. This is a big problem. Um, the reason why this is a big problem is that it goes back to this whole idea of how do we assess theories? Um, mm -hmm. theism and atheism are rival theories, meaning that, um, they, there's no default null hypothesis here. Um, we're both bringing to the table a set of commitments, a set of ways of looking at facts, and then we're comparing and trading off the explanatory, um, the explanatory virtues and merits of either theories and then saying, okay, well, you know, and then letting that determine our choice. Um, one is just not simply is able to get a preclusion simply by saying like, well, we have science, right? And, and, and that gets into two problems. The first problem is intrinsic probability. The only way to get a preclusion in a rival hypothesis comparison 
is to show that one is more intrinsically probable than the other, um, which he didn't do. Uh, but what you did try to do, you, you try to do that via simplicity. I think your defense of simplicity via the, um, the given the amount of time you had to, to explicate it was very good um, by showing arbitrary limits. And of course, um, uh, bringing in Doherty and Swinburne talking about, you know, two simple, two properties held in the simplest way possible um, in conjunction with one another um, and how atheism had to posit all these different things. Um you know, you are you are showing that hey, well, theism if theism hasn't gain on intrinsic probability over atheism, atheism is going to have to work really hard to outdo theism in terms of its explanation, in terms mm -hmm. of its explanatory power, in terms of in terms of its predictive success. Um, and um, he didn't show that atheism was more intrinsically probable than theism. He did make a couple comments about how. It's more complicated because you have all these intentions you have to posit in things and whatnot. Um, and a really um, um, defended version of that argument is by Gregory Dawes. But um, I think that even in the strongest form, that argument fails because um, the theist isn't actually having to posit um, and build in into theism all these different intentions. Um, and Swinburne. Uh, the way he explicates his um, his defense doesn't do that either. He shows how you can derive those things. Um, so, so yeah. So the only way that he could really say that atheism precludes theism at all is by showing it's more intrinsically probable. But he did not do that. Um, second thing is that if you're going to say that all of atheism's explanations are scientific explanations, if we look at these again in accordance with philosophy of science, that means that you're having to build in whole scientific theories into your model at the get-go so your theoretical content is all of science to explain everything okay so now what you've done is you have just blown out your priors completely mm -hmm. meaning that before we even assess your explanatory power um theism is is just automatically much more intrinsically probable because you're positing, at least, um, I sorry, remind me again. Did you go with perfection, or did you go with um, how how did you formulate your hypothesis? I, I I define God as a perfect mind that created the universe. Okay. Yeah. Right. So if we so yeah, so if our theoretical content is perfection, um, that involving mind, um, and a disposition to create and things of that sort, um. That has some um, relatively lean conceptual content in there. And even if we, um, even if we, let's say, take um, perfection and then jot down all the different perfections um, and see that, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're going to have some content there. But then if you take what he's doing and saying, well, it's all science is atheism's explanations, and he's building that into his theory. Well, then his theoretical content is going to be all of biology, everything chemistry says, everything physics says, everything astronomy says. I mean, every single natural science and everything it, it, uh, it has in its conceptual content is not in his theory. Um mm -hmm. This is 
so much more complex than theism. It's going, that is a loss on simplicity. That is a, that is a loss on modesty. Um, and it's a coherent, but you know, that's a theoretical cost on his view. So it's actually not, um, a, uh, an advantage for him to do such a thing. Um, mm -hmm. and so I want to hit on this too, which is, this is something that Sean Carroll did, um, with his, in his debate with Craig, um, um, like just because something isn't explained by science, um, even though he didn't say explicitly that he's building anything in, but just because something is explained by science doesn't lend atheism any explanatory power, nor does it vitiate theism's explanatory power. Um, mm -hmm. And going into what Carroll did, um, Carroll in his debate with Craig pointed to a graph and he said, see these graphs? He said, this is what we see in the physics papers. He's like, but he's like, but but do we see these graphs in the theological papers? He said, no. And that is really interesting to me because him as a scientist, you know, I'm not saying that scientists, you know, study a bunch of philosophy of science through science, but as a scientist, as a cosmologist, he thinks that the data of physics is just automatic confirmation of naturalism. Mm -hmm. um, and that theists are, are having their own version of science over here. Right. And that's just, it gets it wrong. Like the, that's not the type of explanation theism is, um, uh, you know, Swinburne, I mean, it just helps if people just read Swinburne, like, come on. Um, like Swinburne, he talks about how, um, he delineates between personal and, um, scientific explanation mm -hmm. or, um, explanations in terms of initial conditions and laws of nature and ex and in explanations in terms of the um intentions and desires of a person right um and that these things are not incompatible they're not mutually exclusive they are often complement one another and um they give different explanations so when you're when you want to ask the question well what is the explanations of the laws of nature themselves well you can't provide a scientific explanation for that because science explains things in terms of the laws i call them law governed explanations so if you want an explanation of the nomological structure and order well then you're going to have to give an explanation um the only other explanation you really have on the table is it can't be more order because like i said then that's just a circular explanation that's on a further non-circular one if you want a further non-circular one it's going to have to be in terms of mind it's going to have to be in terms of reason a reason governed explanation which is what the theistic explanation is mm -hmm. um because he did critique he, i mean he did um a couple of times really um charge you with the fallacy of god of the gaps i mean what do you think about that yeah so it was interesting because like I brought up like consciousness at one point showing that like trying to argue that like, well, something like idealism is true. Like it's a simpler theory than like um, anything like the atheist can have on hand, unless they want to also be like an idealist, which is interesting. Um, so with that, you kind of said like, well, we're going to explain consciousness and like, we're like, we're 20 years away or 30 years away or something. What he said, and I was just confused with like what he meant by that. So I just asked him. Um, well, we both were. And then, yeah. so I think, I mean, he never like specifically accused me of saying God of the gaps, but I think he, I think he was expecting me for to do more of like a Craigian um, kind of approach. We're saying like, well, atheism can't explain the beginning of the universe or the fine tuning or like objective moral facts. 
Um, so we have these like demonstrate or not demonstrations, but like um, sound arguments that if true show like show conclusively that God exists. And that's just not what I was doing. Um, so I think that was kind of, and like this kind of method that at least I used is not like, like there's not many people using this kind of method. So I understand like if he wasn't familiar with it, like, cause it's not like everyone's using yeah. this kind of style of argument. Yeah. I mean, even if he, I mean, I mean, no theist is making God of the gaps arguments except for a creationist. So like, you know, even on even on the on the charge from Craig that that wouldn't even work in the first place. Um, he did specifically say God of the Gaps because I hear I heard him say something like that sounds like a God of the Gaps argument. Okay. Um, he said we're so close to ex- we're we're almost there explaining it. And, and again, mm-hmm. I, I I just it was just interesting to hear him say that we're so close mm-hmm. to explaining consciousness. Like he didn't even like um, uh, um, expound on what he meant by like how. And like, what he means, like, like you talk about, like, we're so close to solving the hard problem. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like, why exactly, like, like, why I'm a fan of Swinburne's approach is because, like, let's just say, like, he's working. I mean, I, I don't know if he's, like, so behind his position, but let's say he's right in, like, 20 years, we've had a physicalist solution to, like, to consciousness. Like, fine. <laughs> like, for my yeah. argument, like, that's not really a problem. Because I'm not saying that, like, well, physicalism must be false, so theism must be true. It's People more just saying that the existence of, like, conscious moral agents is yeah. more expected on theism than atheism. And I still think that's true even if physicalism is true. So, yeah. like, that's why I'm a fan of, like, the Swinburnian approaches. I don't have to rely on, like, defending things that just seem unnecessary for the sake of the debate. Yeah, you, you weren't making a cosmic consciousness argument. You weren't, mm-hmm. like... And, and exp- explaining consciousness is such a different topic because that, that goes into ontology. That's issues. You know, you have so many different um, theories of of of, of consciousness out there um, that for him to just assert that physicalism, you because know, when he says explain consciousness, we know that he means physicalism. Well, I physicalism, think he's agnostic on. I don't think he's a physical because I asked him at some point in the debate. I'm like, are you a physicalist? He's like, I don't know. So I think I would say that he clarified later in the debate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So then, yeah, he's just not being clear when he says that we're so close to explaining consciousness because I would say that like you're saying like it's. It's not really – it's relevant to God, but, like, we're not positing God and explaining, like, oh, God's, like, doing something in the brain with consciousness or whatever. Like, I, mm-hmm. I'm an idealist. Like, everything exists within consciousness. There is no hard problem. Um, mm-hmm. So if you call that we've explained consciousness, then you can do that or whatever. But – so that's just a lot of disclarity there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it just goes into, like, you know – was it mean for a theistic explanation? Because it goes back into how you're approaching evidence that in Bayesian standard Bayesian confirmation theory, and this is what the um, top A theologians, uh, most sophisticated ones are doing and using in how they assess theism versus atheism is they look at evidence in terms of degrees of support, um, something that raises are increases our confidence in a hypothesis being true or something that raises the probability, the likelihood of a hypothesis. Um, so if there's some fact that, you know, when the hypothesis is invoked and it goes, allows us to go, okay, this is actually much more likely and less surprising in things expected. If the hypothesis was true, then that's some evidence in favor of that hypothesis. Now, this evidence doesn't have to be in terms of an entailment or a prediction. Doesn't have to make it highly probable, but uh, it just has to make it 
more likely than its competitor. This is why we're doing rival hypotheses comparison. If you take theism and atheism, take, for example, fine-tuning, and Luke Barnes says this, like, fine-tuning might not even be so ultra-probable on theism, but mm -hmm. relative to naturalism, it's much more probable on theism. Mm -hmm. And this is what they do with the evil argu uh, evidential arguments from evil. Um, and so if you have that idea of evidence there, um, then um, I like how you, how you press them on it. Like, okay, well, don't you think, uh, what, what, what example did you use in terms of, you tried to get him to concede some evidence for theism? What example did yeah. you use? I think I was focused mostly on like the more like embodied moral conscious agents. Yeah, debate. right. Yeah. It's more expected on theism than atheism. If that's true, that'd be evidence for theism. Right. Exactly. And the reason why it'd be evidence in favor of theism is because, um, one, um, such facts are, um, relevant, are, um, would be explained, um, in a way that's relevant to, to God's own ontology. Mm -hmm. Um, God is the found is, is goodness, um, is the foundations of morality, um, is supremely rational and things of that sort. Well, then we have facts that resemble such and uh, has such an un underlying ontology. And so mm -hmm. already these facts, um, will be much more expected and much more, uh, fit much are much more friendly on theism. But not only that is that, um, you know, theism gains ex explanatory power from, um, God having these, what I call value generating dispositions via God's goodness and knowledge, which I think you can just epistemically predict from the single property of perfection. And mm -hmm. so, uh, God having these value generating dispositions, we can then um, uh, actually target a range of world ensembles God might be expected to actualize. And, yeah. um, you know, it's going to be on the basis of value. Moral agents, embodied moral agents are, um, have great value. These are, these are great things, um, agents in which can build themselves, uh, develop their moral character, uh, use their will to benefit others is something that one, like I said, is relevant to God's own ontology and is a very much valuable thing. So we can expect that God would do such an action. He would, he would just see the goodness and act upon the goodness because that's ultimately what God's goodness via diffusion. Goodness is diffusive of itself. It extends itself. It doesn't hold itself in. Well, you mm -hmm. would expect God to do such, such a thing. Um, of course, there is issues of incommensurability um and everything like that but that's a whole different tangent and rabbit yeah. hole that we don't need to go down but that's how we would assess evidence mm -hmm. um and so you know um things like that are something that we'd say yeah this is evidence of theism this is something that's just much more likely on theism yeah. than it is on atheism i think at least for the rest of our time here because we'll probably go about for like 15 ish more minutes um maybe we just talk about the problem of natural evil because it's mm -hmm. like in the cross exams this was the point i felt not prepared for um which was interesting because like i tried to like build like a rough sketch of like the soul building theodicy with regards to like extending it to natural evil but i didn't really do as well as i as i hoped um i wasn't prepared and ricky did a good job presenting the argument so i don't know do you want to start here tim and i can kind of add some stuff yeah where we go here Sure. So sure. Yeah, man. So yeah, as far as natural slash like evolutionary evils, evil evils, mm -hmm. I like saying evil yeah. evils. Um, mm -hmm. 
like evil devil but evil evil yeah we stayed away from the evolutionary evil stuff it was more just like he talked about like well, like why is there like hurricanes to wipe out like, yeah he brought hurricanes and he brought like million like mass extinction events i just plopped that into evolutionary evils category mm-hmm. because that's what's yeah. always brought up um so um it kind of goes back to what i was saying in the beginning which was like simply asking why such evils occur if like theism is true and just simply posing as a problem doesn't actually establish that there really is a problem here mm-hmm. um like i said it just collapses into like mere anomaly mongering it's like hey look at this anomaly this is this this is a problem on theism don't you see this is a problem and then it's like okay well like what's the argument like what's your conclusion you know and he asked a lot of questions and and you know uh like Cameron Bertuzzi says you know like it's good to ask questions but like simply posing a question doesn't make an argument mm-hmm. um so like you know what are the beliefs and, and that you're putting down and what do you think is the conclusion that follows from them etc yeah. and so forth um so um I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny that there's like some natural tension that we like just perceive but I mean that doesn't really show that theism is implausible um you have to you know make that connection um and the same thing like like i find it interesting because you could ask the same thing of atheism like you know why isn't there because he said this this is not the design or creation i was a perfect being to create a lot of assumptions on what god values there because remember god explains things via what god values what the value that god sees um and so you can ask on atheism okay like well why isn't there so much more suffering and why is it so much more disorder all the time than we currently observe? I mean, surely, like, surely there could be plenty more horrendous evils that result in just the vitiation of millions of psyches all the time. Like, no one ever triumphs over their evils and things of that sort. Like, that, that is much more of an indifferent universe than the one that he says that this one is. Um, so you can make that argument, too. Like, you can symmetrically put that there. and doesn't really solve anything, right? So um i mean again like theories have anomalies and, and, and simply pointing out that they have anomalies um doesn't you know establish that there's an implausibility here or disconfirmation here this is what um creationists do with evolution they show certain apparent anomalies on evolution and they show like oh you know you guys said that evolution is this gradual stepwise process but then you know you can't account for this over here because you know nine different type of phyla um you know, in this, in this explosion event happened. And, uh, you know, that just shows that, you know, uh, there have to be some infusion of, of, of information there. Evolution doesn't have that or whatever. This is a problem for you guys, you know, take our explanation and, um, and simply going, you know, how does evolution account for that? How does evolution account for that? And, um, it's the same thing that creationists do with, um, with, uh, evolutionary theory. And so, um, in the same way, evolutionary biologists are within their epistemic rights of retaining their theory of evolution by simply going into their resources and the tools that they can take and derive from evolutionary theory and come up with explanations. For example, like explanations of vestigial organs um, and um, and showing that, you know, yeah, we would expect that at some time these were useful and now they're not so useful anymore and things things adapt, things change. This is very consonant on evolution. Um, and we have these explanations, right? And these are not these are not ad hoc explanations, not simply just put out there to patch up the theory and to save your favorite theory, 
Um, but to show that, given my theory, what are some plausible explanations I can derive from him? And that's basically what theodicies are. Mm -hmm. um, and so evolution, um, just like theism, I think is a successful um, a progressive research program, meaning that it's durable, it's explanatorily flexible in the sense that it's able to account for further evidence, new evidence, and it is able to stand the test of time, right? Uh, and uh, it's able to be malleable in a way um, that allows it to um, follow certain paradigm shifts if they occur, right? Which we're currently seeing in, in certain fields. So this is just something that, you know, philosophy of science is very aware of. There's literature on this. This is very much a normal thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that's good. I think, you mind if I go? Or you yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I think just like... I think that's a good starting point looking at this of like, this is something I didn't ask when we were on this point, but like um, you talked about like anomaly mongering versus like, um, like looking at like, like what would be like strong evidence. So I think this is like um, anomaly mongering is just because Jonah asked this in the chat. It was just like, I think of anomaly mongering is just like trying to pick a hole in a theory. Whereas like pointing out strong discriminatory evidence is when you're building like a rival theory to try to like, um, and saying like, say like, I have this like necessary initial state and like, this is what we'd expect. Um, like seeming like this, like some different suffering, maybe on this theory, maybe whereas wouldn't on like the theistic one, maybe it's like a more specific, a sophisticated argument you can make. Um, but yeah, with regards to like the natural evil point, one of the things I was trying to get at was this Swinburne quote I have pulled up here with regards to like natural evil. Where he, he talks about in the existence of God, I think the shorter version where he says, particularly natural evil, such as physical pain, gives the sufferer a choice, whether to endure it with patience or whether to bemoan his lot. His friend can choose whether to show sympathy toward the sufferer or whether to be callous. The pain makes possible these choices, which would not otherwise exist. There is no guarantee that the action directed towards the pain will be good ones, but the pain gives the agents opportunity to perform good actions. The good or bad actions which we perform in the face of natural evil themselves provide opportunities for further choice of good or evil stances towards the former actions. So this is what I was trying to argue, basically, is like this one burn point of like um, things such as hurricanes allow for like good or bad choices for like responders and whatnot, which in um, progress in like still building and whatnot. And the other thing I thought about was, and it skimmed me after the debate, I was like, ah, oh, I feel dumb not bringing this up. It was like, like given theism, like I conceded that like for the person that dies in the hurricane, there's no soul building there. But like, given theism, it seems like in like the afterlife, the person can use that suffering to soul build anyway. So like, um, given like their death on this planet, that's not the end of soul building given theism. So I wouldn't concede that point anymore. So I just wanted to get in that and get that out yeah. of my chest of like things I think in response, just reflecting on uh, the conversation there. Yeah, and I'm glad that you see these reflections. You're like, okay, well, you know, this is some things I might want to add. These are the things I could have added and things that sort. Because I, I think that those are on the right track, especially showing how, you know, if theism is actually able to predict or entail that um, there is an afterlife, um, then it, it does soften the blow of a lot of the things that he was saying. Um, um yeah, so as far as that, a guy who asked anomaly mongering, yeah, so there's a, the paper. I don't know if you guys can see. That's not going to work. Yeah, Evil the and the Problem of Anomaly. Uh, it's by Trent Doherty and Alexander Proust. It's a 39-page paper on explicating everything I've talked about. So if you want to go read it for yourself, um, there is some math. There is some Bayesianism in here um, and a lot of philosophy of science being explicated in this, but it's very important. It'll help you in your understanding of how scientific paradigm shifts happen how theories are durable and explanatorily flexible. Um, and so, uh, and you can see how this is really all creationists do with their arguments is that they pretty much just anomaly monger um, and then pose their own ad hoc explanations for why things occur. Um, and so 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's tricky to show, you know, if something is truly disconfirming or not. Um, and um, that's just going to go into, you know, how you're going to do your theory comparison, right? It's all going to depend on that method. Yeah. So I want to say one thing. Um, I want to say that, like, it just goes back into, like, you know, trying to understand the argument that dad pool is putting forth. Because, like, you know, like, um, like, that's like, 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 if you take like a row, like a William Rose style argument from like gratuitous evil and suffering, like, you know, like he has some very explicit premises. Um, like, you know, there exist instances of intense suffering, which an omnipotent being could have prevented without thereby preventing the occurrence of any greater good. Omniscient, holy, good being would prevent the occurrence of any intense suffering. It could, unless it could not do so, thereby preventing the occurrence of some greater good. Therefore, there does not exist an omnipotent, omniscient, holy, good being, right? We have some, some premises here, some things that seem to show, okay, then this cannot be true on theism, right? Um, given, well, the facts of gratuitous suffering, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so I think something like that, if you would have been more uh, explicit on those things, then you guys could have actually had maybe more productive conversation about that. Um, and so I think that ultimately, like, um, you know, he's asking um, also, like, you know, um, you said this, uh, this noble uh, law-like order, right, that God creates. Yeah. And then he said, you know, well, you have a tornado. You said you talked about, you know, imagine if the tornado just stopped. And he said, yeah, but, you know, then this tornado comes. It doesn't stop and it kills millions of people, right? And said, you know, why does God not create different laws and different, you know, natural occurrences that don't lead to that, right? And ultimately, mm -hmm. the, fir the first thing I want to say is it's hard to tell given his approach or his position how he makes that data itself likely at all. Mm -hmm. Um and that why we should expect the kind of nomological order that we actually observe in the actual world on his atheism. Um, and, um, and this is all this, I have a quote from Hick and this is what Hick says about the kind of interventionist God idea, you know, that, you know, God should be intervening in all these situations. And that would be something that we would expect on theism. This is what he says. He says, no one could ever injure anyone else. The murderer's knife would turn to paper or his bullets to thin air. The mountain climber, steeplejack, or playing child falling from a height would flow unharmed to the ground. The reckless driver would never meet the disaster. There would be no need to work since no harm could result from avoiding work. There would be no call to be concerned for others in time of need or danger. For in such a world, there would be no real needs or dangers. One can at least begin to imagine such a world. It is evident that our present ethical concepts would have no meaning in it at all. And this is what Swinburne points out, which is if you really start to see some of the ways in which, like, you know, the nomological structure of the world actually affords us with kind of a moral arena in which moral agents um, can actually make significant moral choices. You, can, you start to see that thing. Just start taking these things away. You can have that kind of thought experiment and you start to really see like, whoa, like we'd be living in, I mean, all the virtues that we could all like we could obtain would just be stripped from us. Right. And this is ultimately what Doherty argues, which is he thinks that God would um, create a world that is saint fostering saintliness, not in terms of just Christian saints, but like the virtues, the highest virtues, self-sacrifice, forgiveness right 
the, uh, all the different major forms of love that someone could have. We could be stripped from our world if God were to simply step in all the time, right? And then it would just nullify why God created moral agents in the first place. Yeah. So that's the yeah. only thing I want to add there. Um, that's pretty good. Like yeah, I think that's really good. We pretty much summarized everything. Um, so we have just a couple minutes left. So do you have any last thoughts or anything you want to say with regards to this or anything else, Tim, before we wrap up? Um, the only thing I want to say is if Deadpool, you know, if you if you have watched this and you've made it this far, end up watching this, I would say I would. Um, uh, it's awesome that you're out there. You know, it seems that you're trying to seek the truth and things of that sort. Um, the only thing I would say is I would have some encouragement for you to um, to uh, read a little deeper, raise the level of discourse um, in your life, man, and uh, start looking into uh, the works of Swinburne and Doherty Proust. Um, and reading those on evil, such as Marilyn McCord Adams, William Hasker, uh, John Hick. Um, and uh, these are, um, you know, really good, uh, high-level, sophisticated sources on these things. I'm also reading, you know, the atheologians as well, such as like Mackey, J.L. Mackey, and Graham Oppie, um, and Paul Draper, and like Felipe Leone, and really starting to see like where the philosophy of religion is at on these different things and, and start to see how theism and, and atheism are really being looked at and assessed. I, I'm, I'm sure it'll be a blessing to you and serve you in your own journey as well. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's the only thing I'd say. Yeah. I really, yeah. I'm very grateful to Ricky for bringing this debate and to like Ricky or anyone else listening to this. Like, I really hope that like, when you listen to this video, you're not listening to like something where like we're trying to like foot stomp and be like, we won. Look what we did. We got this guy speechless, bro. Come on. We did this. Like, that's just like, in my mind, that's terrible debate reviews. Whenever I hear stuff like that, it's like, at least for me, like with Tim, um, we had a good conversation. I was just like, this would be a really good chance to build a bridge and just kind of like elaborate and go further um, based on the context of the debate and just try to expand on ideas. So I hope you find that fruitful. Um, the debate's probably not going to end up on my channel because there's just a lot of things that I don't want on our YouTube channel. So, it's, But it's linked down below so you can check it out on the Atheist Network group. Um, and yeah, it's a really valuable debate and I really learned a lot and very grateful and grateful for Tim to come on and give his thoughts and really help me in expanding my thinking. So yeah, thanks Tim for coming on. It's been so much fun. It's been awesome. And yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in. Always, if you're new, I encourage you to subscribe, leave a like, all that fun stuff. And then if you enjoy the channel, consider becoming a member or a patron. Um, support us for as little as a dollar a month. Your support means a lot. If you're listening to YouTube, you can just press the join button right now. And that means a lot. It's for as little as a dollar a month. But yeah, one last time, Tim, thank you so much, man, for coming on. At Invoking Theism is linked on the YouTube title. So you can just check it out. Great content there. So yeah, thanks, Tim. Thanks, man. Awesome. Have a good one, guys. And God bless.